So you're familiar with Philippians 4, chapter 6, uh, I mean, uh, chapter 4, verse 6, and a few verses after that. Let me pray for us, and then uh, uh, we're going to look at that verse. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is not just some static document uh, like, like, like Shakespeare or, or, or something like that, but it's, it's living, and it's unchanging, and it's, uh, and it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's designed to draw us to you through the circumstances and the things that we experience in our lives. And I pray that that would happen this morning. And we pray in your son's name. Amen. So Philippians 4, chapter 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will cleanse your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you know that verse? How many of you memorized that verse? It's one of the first verses that I actually memorized. I was in Atlanta living there, and I was by myself in my apartment. My roommates were all out. Um, they're in a band. I think they were in Egypt or somewhere touring. So I, I said, I, I kind of need something to do here. So I thought I'd memorize verses. So I took my boom box. This back in the 70s. And I, I wanted to try to sound like, like either James Earl Jones or Charlton Heston, because that seems how when people quote the Bible, they have that big, deep voice. So, so I got the uh, boom box, and I went in the bathroom, and I put my head over the toilet so that it would echo. And I spoke with a British accent. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication. It was, it was great. So we read this verse. It says, don't be anxious. Okay, that's easy. Oh, yeah, okay, we're anxious about something. You know, something goes on. You have a computer problem, or we have, a, we have lives that are full of periods of anxiety, whatever there might be. It might be um, asking a, a, a girl out for the first time. I mean, how many of you were anxious when that happened? I mean, I was, so, I was so anxious the first time I asked a girl out that my friend put me up to it. So he comes over to my house, and I dial the, dial the number, and, you know, I'm thinking, boy, I hope this is busy. I hope the line's busy. This is incredible. So she answered the phone, and then I didn't know what to do. So my friend just starts dying laughing. And I was so nervous that I started laughing, too. And I couldn't even finish the conversation. And finally, through my laughter, I got out, will you go out with me? And I was so anxious and so embarrassed that more than anything else, I wanted her to say no. Because it wasn't Marilyn, actually. It was, um, I don't remember who it was. It was, just, it was just a foil. It was a foil in the great play of Marilyn. It was just a mere, she was a mere stepping stone. But we have those things. College, job interviews. Uh, my, our son's taking the bar exam in a couple of months. Or, or getting married, you know, when we, uh, with Marilyn. And the only experience I've had with this is... Um, Two days before our wedding, I was doubled up on the couch with littered, with literally with anxiety. So we called a doctor. He gives me licorice pills. He's saying, this will make you well. I'm going, no, this is, this is a placebo. I was just anxious about being married. Or you have your first child. Or, or how about this? When, you're, when, you're, when your uh, child gets their driver's license, any of you lay awake at night wondering where your child is who just got their driver's license? That can cause some, some anxiety. Or how about sitting in a waiting room at the doctor's office, waiting to get a report that could literally change your life just like that. You know, and we think, you know, my whole future might change. So, so we have these periods, and yet the Bible says don't be 
anxious. Now, what does that mean? If we're anxious and it says don't be anxious, then basically we're disobeying a command. And if we disobey a command, then that's what the Bible calls sin. So are you telling me anytime I get these little butterflies in my, in my stomach or anytime I have these little thoughts that I'm sinning because I'm disobeying the word of God? Well, I think there's a warning there, but there's also some comfort. So we know what anxiety is. We know that it's, you know, it's, it's um, projecting into the future in a way that causes pressure or in a way that causes dread. It's fear of the future. Basically, that's, that's, that's what it is. You know, and people say that 50 to 75% of all the things that we worry about don't happen. And I read that, and you know what I say? Well, now, wait a minute. That means that 25 to 50% of all the things we worry about do happen. So I'm worried, you know. But we've experienced that. We've experienced the, it's sort of a painful uh, uh, uneasiness of mind, you know, impending something that might happen. It's a fearful concern our interest. So what do we do? Now, the Bible does say, don't be anxious. It says, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious for anything. So there's a warning there. And that's real helpful when I'm in my oncologist's office, waiting to see what they're going to say. Okay, Lord, I won't be anxious. Are my team's at the free throw line, and they're down by two with no time left. Okay, I'm not going to be anxious. You know, when I watch football games and I'm cheering for my team, when the offense has the ball, I'm leaning this way. Then when, the, when we have the ball, I'm leaning this way again. You know, two points down, no time left. I can get anxious. A lot of different things uh, make, make us that way. You know what? We can even be anxious about our spiritual life. We can be anxious about our walk with Christ. Have you ever been that way? Lord, I just don't feel like I'm doing all the things that I need to do. I'm just wondering for whatever that happens. So there's a warning that says don't be anxious. But at the same time, here's the thing. If God says don't be anxious, he must know us in his grace and his love and his sovereignty and his omniscience. If he says don't be anxious, he must know that in fact we do get anxious from time to time. Because he wouldn't tell us to do something that we don't do anyway. He must know that we get anxious. Because he wouldn't tell us something. It'd be, it'd be like, you know, when your child gets their driver's license. You know what we tell them? You know, we tell them, don't speed. Because if you speed, something bad might happen. You might get a ticket or worse. So don't speed. We tell them that because it might happen. We're aware of that. You know, we don't tell our children, you know, look, you're, 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 you're 16 years old now, and I need you to know something. I need you to know that if you ever are flying in a plane, don't, don't jump out without a parachute. You're not going to tell them that because they're probably not going to do that anyway. The Lord must know that we're going to get anxious. So in his loving kindness, he tells us not to be anxious. Now, let's parse this word. Let's break this word Anxiety, or your, if you have a living translation, it says, do not worry. The word is merimneo, merimneo. And I could, I could write Greek up on the board and put pretty much anything I want up there because hardly anybody knows what it looks like. You know, but that's the word. It's pronounced merimneo, and it means concern or care or, uh, or anxiousness or worry. And, it, and it's used in different places in the Bible. Remember Matthew chapter 6 where, where Jesus says... Uh, 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 
the Lord's going to take care of you. Don't worry. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. You know, look how he takes care of these. Aren't you more precious than these? So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough concerns of its own. So, so Jesus uses that word. It's used, you know, he, says to, uh, he says to Martha, you know, remember uh, when Martha was busy getting everything ready because Jesus was coming. And he says, Martha, Martha, you worry about so many things. That's this word. That's how it's used. It can be used to mean anxiety or worry in a, in a negative way. But, but it's also used in a neutral way. It means care. You know, and it's used in the Bible that way. Paul in 1 Corinthians, you know, he says married men care for their wives. Married men are concerned for their wives. Or when he's addressing Timothy, his son in the faith, he says, uh, Timothy, nobody has the concern for me like you do. Nobody cares about me like you care about me. So the word means, means care. You know, Paul said, I have daily concern for all the churches um, throughout the Bible. So, so it's, it's meant care, uh, concern for others. We have concern for the church. We have uh, concern for our spouse. So, so simply put, we care. And anxiety is a byproduct of a good thing. It's a byproduct of caring. We love and we, we care. But when we elevate this kind of caring above right care, caring about the right things in their proper place, well, that's what he's talking about. That's why when he says, don't be anxious. In other words, um, anxiety breeds fear. You know, anxiety makes us fearful of the future. And when that fear of the future, or whatever it looks like, occupies us more than our fear of the Lord... Well, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about when he says, don't be anxious. So anxiety can actually be good or anxiety can actually be bad. It's bad when it, when it pulls us away. It's bad when it distracts us. It's bad when it, when it divides us, when it keeps us from following the Lord, when we're preoccupied with the things that we care about that aren't going to last, even though they're difficult more so than we care about the things of the Lord. You know, the Latin word for anxiety means to, means to strangle. It means to, it means to hem in. It means to surround. It means to choke. And so what he's saying is, don't let the cares of our lives be such that it strangles our walks with Christ, strangles, hems in us from finding our satisfaction in Christ alone. We fear the future to the point where it hurts our satisfaction with Christ. That's what he's, that's what he's talking about. Now, let's, let's look. Now, here, now, here's an interesting thing. It's the Apostle Paul who is telling us to not be anxious. God is using the Apostle Paul. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. What an interesting thing that the Lord would use the Apostle Paul. If anybody had reason for anxiety, that he, he, he would. If anybody went through things that can cause you to be dysfunctional, it would be the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 24. Just follow along as I read this. He says, five times. This is, this is, this is his life, you know. Now, here's the interesting thing. 
we have anxiety just because of the normal course of life. We get sick. We have children. We have jobs. Life is not perfect. We have to interact with other people. Our circumstances might not be in our favor. People might rub us the wrong way. The Apostle Paul, all we're about to read is because the Apostle Paul followed the Lord and subjected himself to ministry. So he, is, he, is, he has reason for anxiety because he is in ministry. Here's what he says. He says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea. I would have an extreme obsessive compulsive disorder at going on a cruise. Every time I see an ad for a cruise, I would just freak out if I was in Paul's situation. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, wilderness, at sea, danger from false brothers. If I was Apostle Paul, I would have a paranoid disorder because everybody's trying to get me. It'd be legitimate, you know. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Paul, no wonder you're in such a mess. You're not taking care of yourself. You need to, you need to eat more uh, vitamins or something like that. And apart from other things, there's this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You know, Paul, you need a vacation. You need a sabbatical. But he was in the midst of ministry. You know, <clears throat> this letter... And many of the letters Paul wrote were written from a waiting room. They were written usually from a waiting room where he was chained in prison to a soldier, awaiting a fate that he didn't know about, possibly execution. And yet God used Paul to say, do not be anxious. How bad did it get? How bad did it get for Paul? He also writes to the Corinthians. He says, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. In fact, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That's how bad it was. He is in the waiting room thinking that he is going to die because he is in ministry. But then he says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This This is who God used to give us encouragement when it comes to anxiety. It's a crazy thing. Now, if you read Philippians, again, on to verse 11 and verse 12, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content. So, in other words, he turned his face towards the Lord even when his life was in peril. And through through all of his trials and all of his anxiety, potentially, producing circumstances, he learned to be content. You see, in God's economy, everything that causes anxiety is an opportunity. And Paul saw that. So what does he say to do? Well, look at verse 6. The first thing we do is we turn to God in prayer. He says, don't be anxious. Instead, Pray. In other words, the first thing we do when we're anxious is we let the, we don't say, oh, I'm a bad Christian, I'm being anxious. We let the anxiety in our lives trigger, turn ourselves towards prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, which is from the word supply, meaning bring all of our requests to him so that he can supply, by everything, prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God. Peter says, cast all your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. You know, think about that word cast. Anybody fly fish in here? You know, I've, I've been, I've, I've cast a fly one time. You know, it's really a lot of fun, though, trying to hit your mark just right. So you cast it, you cast it, you cast it. That's the idea. You cast it to a certain spot. Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord. But what I found is that the one time I fly fished is we'd always reel it back in. And sometimes that's what we do. We cast our anxieties upon the Lord, but we reel it and reel it back in. Uh, He says, uh, Instead of being anxious, pray. Now, that, that word, think about that word prayer. You know what that word really means? It means face towards. Face towards. Be anxious for, for nothing, but turn your face towards God. And that's a great idea. Because when we're anxious, what are we doing? Our face is towards the things that make us anxious. It might be towards people that we're, having, that we're, we're upset with. And so we're having these, these conversations in our minds, you know, that are just making us more and more angry about that person, you know. Or it might be the circumstance. Our face is toward those circumstances or whatever it might be that causes us anxiety. He says, turn your face from that towards the Lord. Prayer means face towards. So what does prayer do? It reorders our lives. It reorders our direction. Even more than that, more than reordering our lives, it reorders our loves. But what if he doesn't answer them? What if God doesn't answer our prayer? Now we say, well, God answers all prayer, but, but, but sometimes he doesn't answer it in the way we want. What if he doesn't answer those prayers when we're in that waiting room? You know, he answered somebody's, one person's prayer this way. Why didn't he answer my prayer that way? That would, I, that's what I really want. What if he doesn't answer a prayer? Well, Tim Keller said this about that. I thought it's a great quote. He was describing a situation where he was praying for a certain outcome, and he didn't receive the outcome that he was praying for. And so as he thought about that, he realized what was going on, and he said this. When he didn't get what he prayed for, he said, God was saying, Son, when a child of mine makes a request... I always give that person what he or she would have asked for if they knew everything I know. Isn't that a great quote? The reason God doesn't answer our prayers like we want is because if we knew everything he knew, we wouldn't pray that way. Because he always answers prayers knowing more than we know. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You see, prayer is not meant to line God up. Lord, do this for me, do that for me. It's not meant to line up God according to our will. We know that. It's meant to line us up to the will of God. Prayer, face towards, you know. When we're lying awake at night and we're anxious about something, face towards. When we're in the waiting room and we're anxious, face towards. Line me up with your will. Prayer. Pray everything, feelings, facts, unbelief. You know, we say, we say ah, it's such a small thing. You know, I, I, I don't want to bother God. You know, he, he's, he's busy. You know, this is such a small thing that I just, I just don't want to do it. Think about that. We think, nothing's too small for God. You know what? God is so big, everything's a small thing. You know, the smallest things he cares about. Everything is a small thing because he is so big and so vast and so powerful that he can take care of even the smallest 
thing that we pray for. He's infinite. He's the God of the universe. Pray about everything. Then he says, with thanksgiving. You know what thanksgiving does? Thanksgiving demonstrates faith. Thanksgiving says Romans 8.28 is true, that God works all things together for good. Now, here's the thing about that. One of the definitions of anxiety is looking forward to the future with doubt. Thanksgiving is looking forward, thanking God already, looking forward to the future with faith. The answer before you see it, knowing his character, knowing that something will be done. He says, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Let your request be made known to God. That's a, that, that, the tense of that is what's called present perfect. Now, what that means is continual. Continue constantly. Let your request be made known to God. You see, prayer is words, but it's more than words. Prayer is facing towards the Lord. It's communicating with our face towards the Lord. So he says, let your request be made known to God. And then, what's the result of that? Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is that? You know, what what is that peace? Is Is it a warm feeling like you have a poached egg on your head? I mean, I'm just feeling so warm all over, you know? A little sticky. Sticky maybe, but warm all over. You know, I... I had a friend, uh, I was at a high school basketball practice, this was a number of years ago, and I was talking with the assistant coach, and I don't know how he got on this subject. He's from Oklahoma, so I said, I've been to Oklahoma before. I've I've been on the Queen Wilhelmina Parkway. You ever heard of that? It's this road going from Mena, Arkansas, to somewhere in Oklahoma, and it's supposed to be real pretty. I mean, it is pretty, because you're on the top of some hills. You know, and so we're, so he says, yeah, I've been there. He says, yeah, I was, I was going down that parkway, and I had my, had my girl with me, and, you know, and she's right there. And, I mean, it was a beautiful day, and I'll tell you what, my life was in order. Things are going well, so my life is in order. You know, that's actually a good description of what the peace of God is. The peace of God is knowing that despite the circumstances, despite the situation you're in, that our inner life is in order, that our loves are in order. See, here's what people do. They tend to, uh, we tend to, you ever say, I need to make God number one in my life. You know, that's what we say. I need to make God number one. So we have all these areas of our life, like we have our, we have our jobs, and we have our, our hobbies, and we have our appetites, and we have our, 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 our secret place that nobody knows about. And we say, I want to make God number one over all of that. Well, I think a better idea when it comes to the peace of God that passes all understanding, is not making him above everything, and then you go live your life out, but it's making him number one in everything. How do you make him number one in your job? How do you make him number one in your family? How do you make him number one as a dad or a mom or a wife? How do you make him number one in those little secret things that we think about that nobody, that we're afraid to share with anybody else? That's kind of what it means to put our lives before the Lord in order. And that's kind of what it means to talk about this, this peace of God that passes all understanding. It also means absence of strife. You know, like, like nations quit fighting. They make a peace treaty now. They're not always kept. But that means an absence of strife. 
Our peace with God is also based on that we have no strife with God. Our relationship with him is, is complete and secure because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ. So it's an absence of strife because we're right with God, and it's an inner calm. It's not peace from God. It's the peace of God. And then just a couple more things. It's the peace that passes understanding. You ever think about that? I want to know why. I want to have that feeling, that assurance. I want to know why. I want to have the peace from understanding something. This is the peace that goes beyond that peace that comes from understanding. Because we can't understand everything all the time, but we can understand that the Lord is in control. It's a peace that can't be understood by the natural mind. That's why we see Christians and we're amazed. People are amazed that they're living well despite the difficult circumstances they're in. The peace of God is a witness to the world. It's not natural. It's supernatural. From our vantage point, things might look very bad, very bleak, very serious. But from God's vantage point, he knows everything is working together for good. And then, the, and then he says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. It's not just an absence. It's not just an inner calm. But there's a presence there. It says it will guard your hearts and minds. It's like a garrison. It's like protection. When we were in Mexico um, a number of years ago, we were here on a mission trip. So we're coming back from the Hard Rock Cafe in Mexico City. How's that for a great mission trip? It was the last night, so we were kind of taking ease and everything. Riding the subway back down to downtown, to, to the central district of Mexico City, all day long they'd had a, hard, a Mexican Hard Rock concert. And it had gotten so bad that people started throwing heavy objects at the stage. So they called it off. And it was raining. And so we get off the subway, and we're trying to make our way up the stairs back to where we're staying. And all these, these concert goers were mad and coming down the stairway to get on the subway. And I didn't think much of it until some of the folks with us who spoke Spanish were, were uh, listening to what they were saying. And it wasn't long before they realized we, we were in danger I mean, based on what they were saying, and they're throwing stuff at us. And so here I am with about 20-something college students and, and, I mean, high school students and some leaders. And they lead us to this separate area. This, is, this has never happened before. There's three men that show up, and they're wearing suits. And then I even, I even tried to go up the stairs, and the guy calls me back. They spoke English. And so we're in this little huddle. All these people... They're mad, running by us. Oh, you Americans, da-da-da. And here are these three men in suits, keeping them away, guarding us. Their presence protected us. That's what it means when it's talking about the peace of God guarding us. His presence is with us. There's a phenomenal story that nobody had seen them before. Nobody had ever heard of subway guards wearing suits. And then they, le- they left, and to this day, I don't know what happened. But, but that is a perfect example of the peace of God because of the presence of God guarding us. Peace comes from knowing we're reconciled to God, the Father, our Father, 
The God of the universe that we address is Father. That's the peace of God. And then the last thing is this. In verse 8, we learn to rest in what we know to be true. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He's talking about the mind. We're faced towards God. Now think about these things. The word for that is uh, logizomai. Logizomai. That's the logizomai. What that word means, it's an accounting word. It means to count. It means to count up. It means to count up all the things, the basic things that we know to be true with our faith. Passages like Psalm 46.10, which says, Be still and know that I am God. We rest in the character and complacency of God. I mean, you know, <clears throat> David was great about this. I mean, King David, you, you know a story. He, he wasn't perfect. He was a mess sometimes. Uh, he was chased by people. His life was in danger. And here's what he says in Psalm 103. What a great psalm. I think about this. We're, we're, so, so we're talking about counting on the basic truths of the gospel that we know to be true. That's what Philippians 4, 8 is talking about, regurgitating those things. David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, that's redemption, that's salvation, who heals all your diseases, and that he, he is in control of our bodies, but that also means spiritually he causes us to grow, that's sanctification, who redeems your life from the pit, from death, that's our salvation, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, and that word crown means to guard or to surround, who satisfies you with good so that your new youth is renewed like eagles. See, he, he is recounting the basic elements of the gospel that kept him when he went through anxious moments. These are his benefits. So here's the last thing. This is, this, this is it. He says, think about these things. So simply put, <clears throat> what this passage is telling us, it says when we go through anxious moments, through anxious periods that we all do, turn to God, face God in prayer, and rest in what we know to be true, which is the gospel. And love it. Love the fact that what God has given us is eternal and it can never be taken away. And make sure that is what we care about the most. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we can even turn our face towards you. We thank you that we can uh, communicate with you, that you hear our prayers. That somehow you do work in our prayers, but often that, that's to turn us towards you. The peace comes from the fact that you have initiated to us through your Son. And for that, Lord, we're very, very grateful. Thank you even for these anxious moments because it causes us to turn to you. Lord, we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.